what is up everybody i'm scott melker and this is the wolf of all streets podcast so for the first time in the history of this podcast i have the pleasure of having two guests on this episode instead of one just recently mike winkleman the artist known as beeple collaborated with makers place a digital art marketplace who are good friends of the show now now beeple's made headlines with the most expensive digital art sales in history very recently one of his pieces sold on the secondary market for over six million dollars but this particular collaboration was the 5,000 day selects NFTs which were being sold for just $1 a piece. Demand hit unimaginable levels and they seemingly broke the entire internet. Is this story and the idea that digital art collectors around the world are willing to do anything they can to get their hands on a Beeple NFT that I want to discuss with Mike and Yoma today. I also want to dig deeply into NFTs, why their value and demand is flying and why they are so important. So Ryoma Ito and Mike Winkleman, thanks so much for coming on. I, I can't wait to get into this. Thank you for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. So uh, before we get into the questions, once again, you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times a week, I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, and politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. This podcast is powered by Blockworks, the fastest growing media company in the digital asset space. You can check them out at blockworks.co. I promise you will not be disappointed. And for all things me, you can check out the wolf of all streets.io. So, so let's get right into it. I touched on it at the very beginning. So the recent Makers Place and Beeple Drop didn't go, I guess, exactly as expected because there was so much demand. I mean, it, it really proved how utterly insane people are to get their hands on your work. Mike, can you walk me through exactly uh, what happened there? Yeah, so um, I, obviously the, the demand was, was more than we expected. And so we ended up, you know, the site crashed, obviously, uh, despite best efforts here. And so we instead decided to do, which actually I think in retrospect, moving forward, I think probably it honestly literally never occurred to me to not do a drop. And to do this raffle instead, uh, I think is actually going to be much more fair and much more sort of, um, you know, maybe a better way to do these things. Um, just because, again, bots are, are an issue. Um, and, and I think, you know, this could be a much more sort of fair way to for people to participate in these things and sort of distribute this in a, in a truly random way. Um, so I think it actually ended at, at a very good spot. Um, but yeah, so the, the raffles just went out, uh, you know, the raffle was last night. And so people just got the, the tokens. And so messages are, are starting to come in. And so, you know, to me, that's super, super awesome to see. And I just saw a guy posted a message, you know, with his wife and they're just super, super happy. So when I see stuff like that, like it just makes it, you know, totally, totally worth it for me. And it's a very, if I'm being honest, a very like surreal position like to sort of be in because like this whole thing again has just blown up so like you know fast obviously I've been making this this art for a very long time but like the, this nft space and the sort of possibilities it it presents that's been fairly fairly overnight-ish you know from my perspective obviously ryoma has been you know kind of living this for for many years but from my perspective it was like this was not on my radar you know six months ago well, that that was actually my next question for ryoma like it's been overnight for him it seemingly is overnight for people in the community but the people who were building the platforms early like you were way ahead of the curve and clearly do not view this as an overnight sensation because you were willing to commit both your time and your finance, you know, and your money to building something with this explosive future in mind. So can you talk to me a bit about why you chose to do that and how that all started? Yeah, it's, it's funny to see how like the space has grown so much over the years. So like we started back in 2018. Um, like prior to that, a lot of my background was in e-commerce uh, for the past like eight, nine years, purely in e-commerce, working with a lot of merchants, trying to get them better sales, help them with the conversions. And as part of that, uh, you know, merchants are always looking for ways to sell stuff um, the easiest way and digital content, um, you know, by far is easier to kind of deal with. You don't have to deal with shipping logistics of physical goods, returns. Uh, the only problem with that is like once you sell a digital asset once, uh, someone just can copy and replicate it and then the value of that goes down to zero, right? So from like an e-commerce standpoint, uh, you know, blockchain and NFTs made a lot of sense in how you could um, help address that problem, 
right? And then, so my co-founders on the other side of thing, um, you know, they were at Pinterest for many years. Uh, they, one of them was employee number one. So they've seen all the issues that come from it right from the get-go. And one of the biggest problems that they saw over there was attribution, right? So, you know, creators create content and then people go to Pinterest and just share it. And nobody really knows who was the original creator of that artwork, um, right? So attribution was a huge problem there. And that's one of the things that uh, NFTs and blockchain can address is like figuring out where did that art piece come from? Who was the original creator, right? So Makerspace sort of came to be is the merging of these two issues from the e-commerce side and the attribution problem. And, you know, when CryptoKitties came out, um, you know, it was like a, a light bulb just switch. It's like, oh, wow, that can solve both of those issues. And that's sort of where uh, Makerspace came to be uh, like uh, early 2018 when we launched. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's clear after this launch and seeing across the entire space that there's just the, the demand is so crazy that obviously it's difficult to scale or to have projected the level of scale. And that there's, there's probably a uh, steep learning curve, I would imagine, for both artists and for the platforms themselves. I, I'm curious and I'm just going to like, I want to address it early. I'm a huge fan of NFTs. What do you say to the people who say, oh, I just took a screenshot. I own your NFT. You know, like, I mean, let, let's yeah, get think, into what this is and why it's important and how absurd that notion is. Yeah, to me, it's sort of like, I don't, it, when people, I think people get really like pissed about that. And it's kind of like, okay, I think that's just somebody who just doesn't understand it yet. And I, I fully believe they will understand it eventually, but it's sort of like, it, it's not something that's like, oh, you fucking moron. It's, it, this is a very abstract concept too. And it's something that really goes against everything we know about sort of, digital like uh you know just digital things is you can copy them that's like the whole fucking point you can copy them and it doesn't you know it doesn't hurt anything um so it, it is very a, a big paradigm shift um but yeah i think I, I think you know the analogy i've been using lately that i i think you know to me is the easiest is like an mp3 it's sort of like okay well everybody can have a copy of the song you obviously know you don't own the song though like, it's very intuitive that it's like, well, okay, I don't own Thriller just because I have a copy of Thriller. And yeah, you can record it, you can do whatever, you can copy it, but you're not going to convince anybody you own it. Like, that's very clear you don't own it. And so that's what this is like. It's sort of like, uh, everybody can have a bunch of copies of this. Copy it and paste it, right click it all you want. Nobody's going to pay you $6 million for that thing. Like, that's, that's the other thing I think people don't get is, everybody who is sort of part of this ecosystem and with this like blockchain thing, they all, you might not recognize that that person owns it, but other people do. Other people are like, yeah, no, he owns it. He has the NFT. And so um, it, it's one of those things where I, I think, you know, as time goes on, people will understand this more and they'll understand that there's, there is, uh, there's a difference between owning the token and just having a copy of the picture that the like, you know, token points to and references. And those are, are very different things. Um, and so, you know, I, I think people will eventually get that. I, I just think it is, it is kind of a pretty big sort of like paradigm shift in terms of like digital assets. Yeah. Yoma, did, did you did, have anything to add? Yeah. yeah, just to add on it. So, uh, you know, the question that people often ask, uh, you know, back in the early days when we first started to where people ask the questions now that really hasn't changed. And the same question is like, why do I have to pay for something that I can already get for free? Right. So there is this mindset where, you know, people have uh, access to content on the, the Internet already, like whether it's social media or some other app and services. Um, where, you know, ownership to them really means uh, I can consume it or I can just right click and save it onto my computer and that's digital ownership, right? Which is not the case with NFTs, right? So, you know, trying to educate these people on what that truly is, uh, I always go back to trying to reference back to the, like the physical market, right? So the example that I give them um, has to do with uh, like physical trading cards, right? The, they're accessible by the millions. Anybody can get their hands on it. Um, but say like a professional athlete comes along and autographs one of those cards, um, you know, that card alone is going to have increased value compared to all the other ones, as long as you can authenticate that that signature is real, right? And then that kind of same concept applies for digital collectibles as well, right? So uh, you have the digital content, you put it online, anybody can get their access, uh, hands on it, it can be copied and replicated millions of times. 
But when a creator publishes onto the blockchain, their digital signature is going to be permanently associated with that file. So as long as there's a way to authenticate that digital signature, that's the thing that's going to help increase the value of that specific asset. And that's where NFTs blockchain comes into play is that that's the way to kind of authenticate, create that digital signature and say that that signature is legitimate, right? So if you're thinking about it in terms of like digital autographs and physical autographs, that's sort of the connection that people have an easier time understanding. I mean, I always laugh because like probably 8.3 out of 10 girls in my college freshman dorm had the starry night hanging on their wall and nobody ever uh, accused that, you know, said um, that Oh, is no that value. a real, is that the yeah. real? Uh, is yeah. that the real one, you know, or accuse them of, uh, as a result of the actual Van Gogh having no value. And so to me, that's kind of obvious, but also, I mean, proof of ownership is a huge problem in physical art, right? Because not only do you have the provenance, right? The history of where that painting has been, but you have people not only uh, counterfeiting the painting, they have them counterfeiting the provenance, right? Like yeah. making fake diamonds, burning the edges to make it look older, things like that. So it, I think a lot of people also here get confused maybe for the image and then really the proof of ownership being the key. The NFT itself, I mean, aren't you really, isn't that the, the, a trail of who's owned it and where it's been that cannot be questioned? And isn't that really where the value comes to some degree? Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it. And, and I think these are all sort of very natural kind of, um, you know, sort of arguments that, that people have. And, that, and, and, you know, a lot of the people that I've sort of my fans, um, you know, because again, I'm new to this space, they're completely new to this space. So I can't tell you how many people, you know, after I did the first drop, drop is like, what in the hell are you selling? Why would I like sort of, you know, pay a bunch of money for like an MP3 or, or, or an MP4 or whatever. Um, and so that's honestly where the sort of like physicals came in. And that was a big reason why I wanted to make something as a way to sort of bridge the gap, because then it's sort of like, you don't even really need to understand the NFT thing. What am I buying? You're buying this. Don't even worry about the other stuff. You'll get it. You'll eventually understand how they, they that, you know, NFT is going to make owning this even better. Um, um, but like as, as a bridge, I think, you know, that was a big reason why I, I really wanted to sort of, um, you know, introduce physicals as, as part of this. And it also sort of changes. There is some level, you know, uh, I think it's, it's somewhat of a valid argument in terms of if you're not going to sell these things, which that is a big piece of it, the experience of owning a nft versus not owning it is not really that different Correct. you know what i mean like you have your name on this website but that's kind of it and so that's why i really wanted to, to have the physicals because then the, the experience is very different you have this physical piece of art in your house and that makes the experience of owning it quite different um so i, I think there's still a lot more work that can be done to sort of um, you know, make ownership of these things, have more utility, have more sort of, you know, experience behind it. But, but yeah, I think these, these questions of, of, um, you know, provenance, that's obviously something that, you know, the blockchain makes very, very instantly accessible. Um, and I think it's something that, you know, I, I believe, especially with how quickly this space is, is growing, that, I think in six months to a year, these 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 conversations are going to sort of fade right. away, and people will sort of understand, you know, what these things are. They'll understand that just because something becomes an NFT doesn't mean it automatically has value. Um, it, it's not just oh, you take any picture, make it an NFT, and boom, it's worth money. That's obviously not the case. Um, and so I think people sort of thinking around this will, will sort of mature and and, and they'll come to realize that there's, there's a time and place for it, that it has very real value. And there's a time and place where it's like, you just made an NFT because you could like, that doesn't, nobody's going to give you money for that. And that makes sense. I took all of my baseball cards, probably like a hundred thousand of them from the 1980s. Not kidding. I used to like hoard wax packs and sets and all this stuff to a uh, card dealer a few years ago. And they literally laughed me out and told me they would pay me to take them out of their store because they had absolutely no value but you know kind of same concept if you have a mickey mantle card from 1952 it's a very uh different conversation so I, i'm curious and i think there's another big question people have right and maybe you can address this you buy it on your platform you transfer it to your wallet 
then what? And that's where I think the physical that you're talking about, you can put it in your house, you can stare at it. There are people who, you know, who aren't just trying to flip it or sell it on a secondary art uh, market. They're in love with the piece and they want to display it. So how do, what's the best way? Is that evolving for people to display the art in their own home? Yeah, I would say that the, in terms of use, um, I would say that the NFT space is still pretty early in that respect. Um, I mean, the main use cases right now are uh, crypto voxels, Decentraland, getting into these virtual uh, communities, um, you know, building up your own plot of land, putting up your own galleries and showcasing them there. So, you know, creators and collectors alike, uh, you know, spend a lot of time spending, uh, you know, building up their plots there and doing that. Um, the other one that has become more popular is these uh, physical digital frames, um, like the one that Mike showed. Uh, where awesome. they are using those to showcase them. So you got your murals, your infinite objects, your Canvia devices, um, which are specifically for art. Um, so a lot of people are going towards that. But, uh, you know, in the future, as more people come into the space, um, there's probably going to be new innovations that come along with it. More like interoperability, more apps and services that are integrating NFTs. Um, so I would say that now is just a starting point where people are getting educated about the uh, idea of NFTs. And then after that, we'll become more um, creative ideas about how to actually use them. I mean, do you think that our future is full on ready player one and everybody puts on their VR goggles and we all go visit each other's restaurants, art galleries, live DJ sets and nightclubs. And that's uh, where this really shines. Or do you think that that's so far in the future, because I think a lot of people buy NFTs, like you said, Decentraland and those sort of things. That's what they're sort of looking to as the future. Yeah, I, I think personally, that. before that happens, we'll put on AR goggles and we'll, they'll be displayed in your house that it's like, okay, you can display these things and that we'll have some proof in the program that it's like, that's not just a JPEG that you're displaying on the wall. That's the actual like real you know sort of blockchain that you'll be able to sort of view it on the blockchain and, and maybe it has some sort of you know maybe it's it's permanent in your house and it's sort of recorded on the blockchain that it's like the gps location of that so cool. you know sort of virtual item you know in in virtual space and anybody can sort of like see it in your house i think that is probably something that could be i don't know five years away from it being sort of really kind of you know useful I think the full VR thing, that's still probably, I don't know, maybe 20 years away or something like that, that I, I think is still a bit out. Yeah, I think uh, VR still has to figure out more of that uh, mainstream adoption part of it. Um, but I like, at least from my standpoint, I think that uh, mm -hmm. the next phase where I'd like to see it is where people are just more actively trading um, these things. Uh, between one another sort of like how back in the day you know people would just actually trade cards um maybe pokemon cards or like athlete cards you know making that that process a lot easier right i would like to see that kind of stuff happening and i think that we're sort of at an inflection point where uh, more people are understanding the space getting into it and then you know where more influencers like might come into the space that's just going to snowball into more people you know um, getting into it. And then hopefully from that, people would just become more active in the trading aspect of it um, saying, you know what, Hey, I've got this card or I have this NFT. Hey, what do you got? Let's, let's do some kind of deal to kind of make that happen. Right. So seeing that kind of activity will, you know, be a, a good sign to see that the, the space is on the right track. So largely it runs the entire spectrum of collectibles. I mean, you're, you're talking about, I used to literally go to like baseball card trading conventions in the 1980s and we would sit there and argue and and do it and so being able to do that online is incredibly cool we see people doing that sort of with nba top shot and all of that but then we're talking about all the way up to fine art what you're doing things selling for six million dollars so does it really like can nfts cover that entire array for every kind of collector and trader i absolutely think so i think it's gonna be i, I think they're gonna i, I look at nfts as this very blank canvas, um, you know, similar to the early days of the internet where it's kind of like, well, what's the use case for a web page? Like, well, there's a lot of fucking use cases. And I think NFTs are going to be the same way. I think there's going to see, you're going to see them for, uh, you know, fine art, things like that, that could be very, very high value. And I think you're going to see them for things that are like a parking pass or some shit that's insanely low value. And it's yep. just this, utility use case thing that it's sort of like okay well that's how you like do it and and you know it and the functionality especially as more and more of the like 
functionality of this stuff is hidden and it's, or, or not functionality, the, the sort of complexity of this is hidden around the blockchain. And it just becomes, people are really sort of focusing on the utility of these things instead of sort of right now, I think we're still in the, the shiny object phase where it's like, right. what's this new thing? Like everything connected to this has, has, you know, magical value, just like you saw at the beginning of the internet, that it was sort of like in the late nineties, it was like, if you had a web page, that web page was magically had value. And then it was like, oh, wait, yeah, actually, a lot of these web pages just suck. Just because you made a web page, it doesn't magically <laughs> have value. Right. And I think you're going to see that with, with NFTs. And that's where, to be honest, I would caution, you know, some, I know it's very heady times right now, but I, I think people need to look at, at you know, step, take a step back and it's like, okay, is this something people are truly going to give a fuck about in 20 or 30 years or, you know, even 10 years? Otherwise, it's going to be, I hate to say it, but it's going to be similar to you walking into a pawn shop with a big thing. Uh, how much are these worth? And it's like, oh yeah, all of those are worth nothing. Like that's yeah. what will that happen. With most, well, most NFTs, unfortunately, that will be the case that the, the joke will die off, you know, 30 years from now, Pepe's might not be quite as funny and you know, this or that, like there's a million things like that, where it's like, it's, it's hard to know what's going to be popular sort of in the future and what's going to hold value. So that's where I think people do need to, to exercise some level of caution with this stuff. But I, I, at the same time, it's one of these things where we're still so early in this and, and we've proven out, you know, in, in my eyes, a few use cases, art, um, you know, digital collectibles, different collectibles. But again, I, I think the utility use cases, I, I think part of the reason we haven't sort of begun to to really see the, the, the true benefits of these utility use cases is because right now we're still kind of hampered by COVID. And so people aren't able to like go out to concerts. They're not able to go to big events. And, and so some of these things are not, we're not able to really sort of like, okay, let's test the waters on this stuff. How, how would it work if we attach an NFT to this experience or, or you know, gave this uh, ability to it? So I think as, as COVID sort of hopefully fucking wraps up here in the next, you know, six months, hopefully, um, you know, we'll be able to see a lot more of these use cases in the real world. And then I think you're going to see another like huge explosion of, of sort of interest and, and uh, you know, things that we right now are not even thinking about. Yeah, uh, just to touch on that. Um, so I guess like, like thinking about how NFTs can use and how they can succeed, I sort of like think about it like from a physical collectible standpoint, like what are the markets that exist in that space and how big are they? Right. So, you know, if you do the comparisons like the, you know, sports uh, collectibles in the physical space is huge. And then, you know, like, can it succeed in the digital collectible space? Absolutely. Right. We already see examples of that with NBA Top Shot, which is doing huge numbers already. Right. Um, and if you think about all the other different types of physical collectibles that exist. Right. How can those trans uh, transfer over to NFTs? They absolutely can. Right. In a lot of ways, uh, you have your art. Um, even like gated access, like Mike was talking about, um, you know, tickets, um, NFTs can be used for that kind of stuff, certificates, um, gaming, gaming is another big area, right? So, you know, you think about like what already works, um, like NFTs can be used to improve those experiences. So definitely NFTs have a lot of use cases and they can succeed in a whole bunch of different uh, categories as well. Sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto and is 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 50 top crypto assets and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank accounts. So you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering up to 6.5 APR on Bitcoin and up to 9.5% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, up to 9.5%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's S-C-O-T-T-2-5. This episode is brought to you by Mina, the world's lightest blockchain. Mina is a layer one crypto protocol that replaces the traditional blockchain with a zero knowledge proof ensuring a super light and constant size chain that allows participants to quickly sync and verify the network. Their upcoming mainnet launch is right around the corner and there are opportunities to participate in community leaderboard challenges for rewards. 
Visit minaprotocol.com slash wolf to find out how you can get involved and earn tokens ahead of mainnet. DeFi is where all the excitement is, but participating in it can be a nightmare. Not anymore with Matcha. Matcha makes it ridiculously easy to create a wallet, onboard new users, execute trades, and source liquidity. The best part is that it's cheaper than Uniswap and delivers the best prices on the market by aggregating all the available liquidity and routing to the best source. My favorite part of Matcha is that it offers high-level trading features like limit orders, liquidity depth visualization, gas efficiency, and more. Sign up for Matcha now at matcha.xyz slash wolf. That's M-A-T-C-H-A dot X-Y-Z slash W-O-L-F and join the tens of thousands of traders who are already a part of the movement. I'm curious if there's any risk associated with Ethereum. One of my very normie friends asked me this and he's like gotten into NBA Top Shot and is having a great time. He's like, but what if like all of a sudden the company that I have my wallet with that they're associated with just goes out of business or the Ethereum blockchain doesn't work anymore? What happens to, you know, the, these coins that are sitting in my wallet, these NFTs? Well, NFT runs on Flow blockchain. So right. he's, that's actually much more, you know, I, I don't think Flow is going anywhere. I don't think Dapper right. going anywhere. But that's a little, if you're talking about like a private, you know, blockchain like that, that is probably more of a concern that it's sort of like it is that whole ecosystem then it is very much kind of tied to that blockchain. Right. Um, Ethereum. It could go somewhere, but at this point, it's one of these things where uh, I believe it's it's very much, you know, kind of crossed the threshold where it, it's, it's hard agree. to sort of imagine it, it going somewhere at, at this point. Um, and so, you know, I, I think nothing, uh, no, nothing is guaranteed, obviously, in the future for Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever. But I, I think... There's definitely enough momentum. And, and again, to be quite honest, I was not like, uh, uh, you know, sort of prior to this, somebody who was super bullish on, on crypto, to be quite honest. Um, I thought it was interesting. I didn't think it was bullshit, but I also was kind of a little sort of, you know, kind of more on the conservative. I, I'm, you know, sort of naturally more conservative with like investments and stuff. But, it, you know, looking at the fact that it not only survived during the pandemic, you know, one of the worst economic sort of uh, environments that we've had in the last hundred years or whatever. It it thrived during that. It's kind of yeah. like, well, we can survive that. Like, eh, I think this is probably gonna be around a while. I'm not I'm not sure what is gonna like come by and freaking knock this out. Like again, nothing's fucking. Certain, I agree with you. No, I, I agree. It, it's to, the, to me that that says quite a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd say that Ethereum is pretty well established, so it's not likely to go away. Um, but it's not to say that there won't be other players that could come into the space and gain uh, uh, like a lot of notoriety. So I think that in the future, what could happen is it's not more about like just one platform that is succeeding, but multiple ones, and then figuring a way to kind of interconnect between these different blockchains. Right, interoperability. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's more likely going to be the the way forward. Yeah. yeah. And you touched on it earlier. You know, I think that the perception with the learning curve is that NFTs are about art and collectibles, but there's so many other use cases that are not exciting, but could literally be the future of the way that we transact. I mean, there's no reason that your car title can't be an NFT and you don't need a centralized authority to, to sell your car and transfer that NFT, um, right? So, I mean, it um, really comes down to proof of ownership yes. to me. I know we touched on it earlier, but I think a lot of people don't realize the implications and how important the non-fungible token itself is even outside of the art world, right? Yes. And especially given that you can sort of put, um, you know, rules into that. And they, there's, you know, there's a bunch of different ways that those could sort of, you know, interact, you know, using that. And I think another thing that I, I've been thinking about lately is sort of just NFTs as an asset class. I think we sort of take for granted that, you know, or, or a lot of people sort of take for granted that, you know, you grow up, you get a job, you get some money and you start buying stocks. And that's just kind of what most people do. And they, they put their money into equities and that's kind of, that's what you do. And that's over the last hundred years, what most people have done. But there's nothing that says that that has to continue like that. And to be quite honest, young people really don't like corporations. And yeah. they, there's nothing that guarantees that they're going to give their money to corporations. And so I think looking at this as a, as a potential, uh, you know, 
alternate asset class that could be just like crypto, just like Bitcoin, you know, a significant store of value in the future, I think is something that, you know, could definitely very much be a possibility. Um, I think, especially too, given the amount of, of sort of ownership people have over these versus a stock. Um, with a stock, you sort of, you have very stringent rules of how you can you trade it, how you can, when you can trade it, who you can trade it to, how you can sell it. And as we saw with the GameStop thing, those rules can change on a fucking dime. And yeah, then it's sort of sure. like, well, here's the new rules. Don't like it? Go fuck yourself. And so that's another thing that, that NFTs could sort of have a, a very real um, you know, advantage of over equities. And even if they captured a fraction of that market, it would be hundreds of times bigger than it is now, the, the, the NFT market. So it's still, you know, if you're looking at the, the overall market cap of NFTs being, you know, last I saw somewhere around 200, 250 million, that is nothing. still like just uh, nothing compared to, uh, you know, what it could be, you know, sort of looking at, at the additional use cases moving forward. Yeah. From a, like a platform perspective, there's a, there's a lot of signs um, that suggest that, you know, NFTs are a good store of value. So, you know, as long as a creator is continually creating and publishing new artworks, in many, many cases, uh, the, the, the prices that are releasing them at are increasing over time, right? Some, some of them are releasing it from the, like the, from the time that they release it to, let's say, like a couple months later down the road, um, you know, the prices go up like potentially like 10x by that point, yes. right? So like the amount of uh you know value that you can accrue during that period is pretty substantial and probably better than what you could get from like the equities yeah and what's i mean also when you talk about uh a one of one sort of as a store of value you only need one person who loves it who's willing to pay for it to buy it so there you know there's sort of this indefinite possibility no matter what happens in the market around that you find that one other person in the world like people sell the ugliest houses right because there's somebody who loves that uh, hideous house um and so i think that that's really important like if a stock a company goes down that company's going down man you know and you have the systematic risk of everything associated with the market and that individual thing when you have something that's one of one i mean scarce items have held value throughout time Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, people love scarcity, whether it's shoe collectors or art collectors or whatever it is. People just love scarcity, knowing that they're the only one who owns something. And I think there's always going to be someone who wants to buy that. In my and opinion. I think and I think what NFTs, you know, can can sort of offer versus, uh, you know, traditional sort of physical items, you know, in terms of store of value is that they have this the ability, you know, to be traded super easy and quickly. The, yeah. So the, 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 you know, liquidity around these things is, is much, much faster than sort of like, okay, you go to, you buy, you know, this rare whatever, then it's like, okay, this could take you months, if not years to find somebody versus through the marketplaces, you can immediately, you could buy something and immediately sort of flip that, like, Right yeah. away. So that's, and you have to prove it's real. Thing. And you have to no, set, like, if it's a, it's you, real. when I was young, like, when we went to baseball card conventions, that was in the pre PSA days before you had to verify something. So, yes, you could obviously be sold a fake. But now, I mean, you literally, if you want to sell something, you have to send it off to a company to verify its authenticity, pay a percentage of the value of that object, which can be a lot. It's kind of like you don't know if you won the lottery or you got screwed when they send you back the price because it, it can cost you more than you have. Right, that system is obviously really, really broken. So yeah, this is just so much more efficient and easier. I'm curious, I, I, you know, a lot of people uh, who knew I was having this conversation, Mike, they wanna know about your uh, creative process. Um, I think people are really interested in hearing, you know, how you conceive an idea, how it comes to fruition, how you decide how to release that, the strategies around it. And then uh, Ryoma, you know, we could talk about when somebody comes to you at the platform What's the process like for actually doing that drop? Sure. Yeah. So the, the everyday is obviously has been something that I've been doing for the last, you know, 13 plus years here. And, and it was really just something that I started to, to, to try and get better. Um, and, and at first it was sort of, you know, getting better at drawing and then it moved into sort of 3D stuff. But that's really, I mean, that's honestly nothing's changed. There's still like I see a massive amount of improvement. And, and so you know, that that's why I do this. Um, 
sort of the everyday like in, in terms of the creative process I, I take a lot of inspiration from other people's artwork online um i take a lot of inspiration from you know the news um and so it, it's really kind of a mix of sort of what's going on in the world what's going on in my life and sort of you know kind of this quasi diary of of you know both of those things um with a pretty healthy dose of just what the fuck weirdness mixed in as well like uh, this is it's not like when you see some weird buzz light your titty thing like oh that's what's going on in his life that's not what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah. it's not really a reflection of my cool day it was. Cool <laughs> oh it was. okay well that's what he did today that makes sense yeah mondays <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. there's also some there's some wild cards thrown in there too um but in terms of how I decide to release these things, uh, obviously I have, you know, 5,000 plus every day. And that's just one thing that I have. I also have uh, like a couple hundred uh, BJ clips, which are also very, very popular in the like concert visual world. Um, and then I have short films and a bunch of other like, you know, kind of weird sort of one-off things. Um, but I'm really sort of very much, and, and this is one mistake I, I personally, you know, see people coming to the space, new artists or whatever. I'm very much trying to sort of pace myself and I'm trying to, I, I'm going to assume that this market and this sort of, um, you know, way of selling things is going to be around for 30 plus years, the rest of my life. And so, okay, I'm going to approach it like that. If I'm really looking at this like long game, like, okay. I could have sold the first every day, number one, the very first one. I could have sold that right away, but I didn't. And I sold number 4,392 for whatever amount of money. So now how much is the first one worth? And so that's where I think, you know, artists really need to sort of pace themselves with this and don't sell the most valuable special piece of work you know, you have right out the gate, like, don't do that, because then you don't own it. And then yeah, you'll get the royalties potentially. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's a difference between $6.6 .6 million and $600,000. And, and I'm fine with that. But like, there, there is, you know, again, there's a difference there. And so that's where I, I think people really need to sort of like, pace themselves and and kind of make sure that they're looking at this of like, okay, how can I sort of sustain this as a practice over a very long period of time and release my work in that fashion with that in mind? Yeah, it's uh, almost like it's not a get rich quick scheme. It's not, a, yeah. It's, <laughs> Which is, you know, that's the, I think you just described the proper approach to anything where anyone is going to rise to the, rise to the top, right? It, and it and needs, I mean, putting out your first thing and you basically set a low bar on price for an infinite I've future. I've seen so many artists do that where it's just like, oh my God, don't put that up for sale and it'll sell for like 2000 bucks. And it's just like, you know, because they didn't market it well and people don't realize. And it was like, oh, that was actually a really like very, pivotal piece and i've ha seen this happen a few times and it's kind of like oh man as more people come to this space and the space matures like and and especially with digital art because i feel like we're just at the beginning of people are going to start go back and look at the last 20 years of digital art and be like okay actually yeah no this is art like this is okay yeah we didn't really have a way to collect it and and really own it now now we do now let's go back and look at what the fuck just happened over the last 20 years who were the key players? What were the movements? What were the like, you know, who were the key artists in this? And so I, I've seen a few of those key artists sell things where it's like, oh, that was a very pivotal work. And you Yeah. Now you're the two thousand dollar is your is your the high bar guy. You are somebody is going to like even that Nyan cat going for six hundred thousand. It's like, well, that sounds like a lot, but I would not have sold that right now. Like I that could be worth way more in the future, and I believe it will be worth way more in the future. Right. So right. yeah, I think people need to sort of it needs to be a balance, obviously, of okay, well, I need to fucking eat now here, guy. Like, I don't, you know, and, and sort of like looking at this as something you could sustain over the long term. 
So Ryoma, yeah, I want to circle back before we miss it. And so that's obviously his creative process. What's it like when, I guess, your average person wants to sell something at Maker's Place, but also like when someone like uh, people, you know, comes and says, listen, I want to do a drop with you guys. How, what does that process look like? How does it work? So we're a curated platform, so we're invite only. So, right, that's right. you know, uh, people like people come through, people um, that are lesser known come through. And I guess like for us, the biggest thing is, is the type of artwork that they're releasing or want to release in line with the type of um, artworks that collectors on our platform are expecting, right? So that's the biggest question. And, and like the second one is, what is the story around it that we can put together? Right. What is the story around that creator? Um, what is the story around that artworks that we can kind of communicate to the collectors to make it appealing? Right. So being able to communicate is that is sort of like a big um, uh, like way that we kind of filter through some of these candidates is how do we tell that story? Right. So, you know, for people like Mike, um, you know, it's not just his follower counts. That's like the biggest thing It's like Mike has this story where he's you know, spent a lot of time in the digital art space beforehand. He's put in his dues. He's got this interesting story around his everydays. That's the kind of stuff that appeals to the collectors. So the question for any type of artist coming into any of the other platforms is, what is that story that like, collectors are gonna appeal to you? And what is that story that you can communicate? Right? So thinking about that um, as a forefront of like when you're applying to any type of art platform should be the key things. Like, you know, if you're relatively early on, then the question is like, what can I do to differentiate myself to all these other people? Like that is that story that you need to work on, right? right. So it's not a question of the platforms. It's more, it's like, if I'm serious about digital arts, how do I build that story around myself? That is very true because it's gonna, it's gonna start to, in the past, over the last, you know, even to up until very recently, there just was not that much sort of like supply of art in the space. And so uh, you could just come on and put anything up to be quite honest and people will buy it because there was a massive, like the, the, there was a massive demand supply imbalance. Now you are seeing everybody come to the space. All digital artists will eventually come to this and, and realize this is, you know, at least some possibility to be able to sell their work like this. And so cutting through that noise is going to be very, very like a, a key part of this, because again, you could be the most, you know, amazing artist ever, but if nobody sees your work, it, it's very tough. It, it's going to be very tough. You're going to get lost in the noise of the internet. So I think, you know, looking at, at sort of growing an audience, even outside of, of, of sort of this collecting space is, is a big thing. And, and, and something that, you know, I, I, took very sort of like seriously over the course of my career that it's like, okay, I'm going to do whatever I can to sort of grow an audience right now. I'm not really trying to sell them anything. Um, but in the future, maybe I could try and sell them anything. And now I have something to sell them. And so now it's sort of like having that audience that I built up over the last, you know, decade or whatever has kind of paid off, I guess. If someone's a brand new artist though, and they're, and their work is exceptional. Can they pitch you guys and say, listen, like we would do it? Or does it really come down to the story? I mean, it's the same in music, what you just described, right? I mean, the best singers and the best pianists in the world are not the most famous ones, right? It's, um, yeah. it, it's that combination of whether it's a look or a marketing or a connection or whatever it is that eventually gets to the top. Talent is not the thing that generally, you know, um, it's not the only you, have to have, yeah. you have to have the talent to sustain it, I think. Hence the one hit wonders with crappy songs and things like that, but you're, you, you still need to be given your shot. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, and that's where I think there is, there is some degree of luck to it, to be quite honest, that it's sort of anyway. like, you know, that's a piece of it. But I, I think it's also sort of um, having patience. I, I think if you're like a, a young artist, I think that's the biggest thing with this is like, I see people and it's sort of, you know, uh, having that patience because to sort of make it at, at, you know, 22, 20, you know, seeing some of these kids sort of make it. And it's like, that's very rare. That's yeah. they, th those kids have gotten very lucky to be quite honest. Like it, it's sure. really, really hard to be in a position where you're very young and to be quite honest, have put out very little art and sort of be in a position where you're selling something for a massive, massive amount of money that there is a high degree of luck there because that's not many people. Um, and so, 
I think uh, having patience and, and sort of um, focusing on, you know, not focusing so much on the like selling piece of it, focusing on the actual art, that is very, very key for young artists. Yeah, and the, to focus on being unique, right? I think that's the, the big other thing to kind of focus on because there are lots and lots and lots of talented artists out there, you know, who might not have a lot of popularity. So, you know, within that noise, you need to be able to differentiate yourself. And, you know, even if you don't have a huge following, if you have something that's special, that's unique, that people want to talk about, that alone will be able to kind of build, help you build um, whatever it is that you're trying to build, whether it's your career or um, a following um, or, you know, presence in the crypto art space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, cre- the cream will eventually rise to the top to some degree. Not Pages. all of it, but, to, but if you're Pages. truly, truly talented and you're a part of the community that it should. And it's funny, I mean, Mike, you, you're kind of the perfect example. I think that it was largely like this for me in music. It's like they say, you know, it takes 20, 20 years to be an overnight success. And, you know, people just see the overnight success and don't realize the uh, effort and planning and, and all of that that went into building that community. So, you know, it, I think it just like in any space, it is very rare for someone to just put out one thing and all of a sudden uh, become it's, a millionaire. Right? It's yeah. quite rare. And I think this, this um, you know, space, it's, it's very, there's a huge hype factor and it's very easy to just like, you know, sort of, again, that comes down to sort of, you know, some degree of luck that it's sort of, you are able to kind of, you know, ride the hype train here. But I think it's, again, is that something that's going to sustain over, you know, a very long period of time that, that yeah. will come down to sort of, you know, a, a bunch of different factors, but I, I would be, you know, and, and that's again, something I would also sort of look at with when you're purchasing art, it's like, okay, is this something that has, is this a person who's sort of like proven over a long period of time that they're able to sort of, that they've got a career here and that this is something that, you know, is going to be, uh, that they're still going to be doing this in, in, in sort of, you know, five, 10 years, because artists come and go and they, oh, I don't really like making art anymore. And then they just go do something else. And then it's sort of like, well, that art, there's a good chance that art is going to go to zero then if, if they're not sort of like in this making, making art over, over a long period of time. So I think it's a lot of things that, that, you know, both collectors and, and artists sort of like, looking at the long game more, I think is going to sort of help everybody sort of, you know, be able to, to make this sustainable. Yeah, that makes sense. I know that one of the huge criticisms is sort of in a bubble and you see these things like hash masks and punks. I think what is the new one? Waifus or something that people are, you know, eventually is it just, I mean, are we going to see sort of a bubble pop? I, I don't think that ever affects the people at the top when those things happen, by the way, because the true stuff has value. But do you think that we're seeing just this insane flood in the market right now and that a lot of it people are just overpaying for and it's going to go to complete crap? Like, uh, <laughs> I, I would, yes and no. I think there is definitely some irrational exuberance around um, certain projects. And that I don't really want to like name any projects to be sure, honest, sure. because I don't want, I want all these projects to, to succeed, but sure. there are some projects that I look at and I think, I'm not sure that's going to be super popular. I'm not sure that's going to hold value in the future. I, I would be, uh, I would be shocked. I, and it's one of these things, if that holds value in the future, I'm going to have 200 bazillion dollars. Like if that's still popular in the future, um, yeah, it's one of these things where I I think, yeah, just not like not getting too caught up in the Twitter hype of, you know, this, the shiny new object and and really sort of taking a step back and and breathing with this stuff. I think, you know, and really trying to do your due diligence and make sure that these projects that, you know, you're buying into or artists or whatever are sort of. They, they seem like they're going to be around for a while and, and they seem like they've, they've been around a sec and that they're, they're going to be around in the future. And sort of, I think that's what I would be looking at when trying to sort of determine. And, and it's no, there's no guarantee. Like there's, it's nobody knows. And, and so that's what makes it hard. And that's what makes it fun and exciting is that there are no, nobody's going to tell, can tell you, I can tell you, it's just like any other stocks or any other investments. Sure. Anybody go, oh, this is what's going to happen. You don't fucking know. Nobody yeah, fucking knows. So like, uh, you know, that's what makes it exciting. But I think taking a step and breathing, uh, I think can help. But at the same time, I think there are certain things that 
that people, you know, I, I look at the, the internet and there was a big crash and like it kind of wiped out all the bullshit, but people didn't stop using the internet. And so it's sort of like, I think there could be a point where a lot of, we kind of reset the clock here. And a lot of these NFTs, people realize it's like, oh shit. Yeah, I, I tried to sell that, you know, three years from now and like nobody wants to buy it. And it's it's practically worthless. Yeah, clip and there of could a, be some uh, yeah. reset here, but that doesn't mean people will stop using NFTs. That doesn't mean NFTs are useless. It just means sure, like those people are gonna ones. find out. Yeah, people are gonna find out the shit that they thought had value maybe does not have value. Yeah, like the or, or as much less the than they thought. The ninth man off the bench for the Timberwolves dunking randomly in a game on a Tuesday in 2021 might not be the one that uh, makes it 10 years from now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I know you wanted to ring in there. Yeah. So I would say that, you know, um, attention span in the crypto space uh, for the most part is pretty low. Um, <laughs> right. So people like, I think a lot of the people coming into it, you know, they're riding the hype train. Um, you know, a lot of them are saying, Hey, I want to get rich. I want to get rich quick. They're like, what is that project? Right. And I think that's sort of the part of that's problem. Uh, part of the problem that's feeding into it is that um, these projects that are popping up, they understand that. So, you know, they're popping up left, right, and center, um, all these type of potential things that you can make much uh, money very quickly on. So, you know, are they going to go away? Are they going to last long-term? Like very realistic, they're not, right? But I think from most the other end, of, yeah, most will not. And I think that from the other end of it, people buy them. I think they already understand that as well, but everyone's just trying to get in as fast as they can and get out as fast as they can. Right. But so, I mean, it's hard to say it's like if it's going to, yeah, I mean, it's uh, right. I, I mean, we've seen the cycles of different crypto phases, which, you know, it feels like a hundred years in just a few years, but I mean, we saw DeFi last year. It was like, everybody was experimenting and food coins and whatever and rug pulls and all this craziness. And it sort of matured a bit. I would imagine that it'll be somewhat the, the same here to some degree, but like, also, I think it's important to note, I don't think we can depend on the crypto community to carry NFTs into the future, right? So when, when is the Art Basel crowd here? When are the really high-end collectors who are out there every single day looking for rare pieces of art, not in the digital space, when do they, and I'm not talking about a few of them because I know they're here, but when do they en masse start to take this very seriously and this becomes like a true you know, space for high-end art collectors? I think that will actually happen fairly quickly, to be quite honest. I, th I think the Christie's thing is very much sort of, um, you know, rapidly, uh, you know, help, help sort of um, just give a lot of uh, just credibility to the space in terms of that. And, and to be quite honest, there's other talks that I've had since then and I'm having that I, I, I'm very confident that that is something that in the next you know, one to two years tops that this will be a fairly established, um, you know, sort of medium. Because again, it's, it's like anything else. It can be crap and it can be very useful and very artistic and very, you know, have a lot of value. It's, it's what people put into them. It, just like anything else. It's what you, what do you put into a website? That's, you know, you put a lot of time and you put a lot of energy and value for the, the end person then it's going to have value. If you just put up a website of some stupid bullshit, like that has no value. So I think, um, I personally think that the, the broader art community is going to come to this pretty quickly because I think you're going to see it come both ways. You're right now, you're just seeing the, the, the uh, digital art sort of pushing this in, in, into the traditional space. I think you're about to see in the next six months, the traditional space being like, hey, we want to make money. And yeah. so they're going to come and they're already starting to come and they're going to push and they're going to attach NFTs to their work. And when this happens, it gives it a lot more credibility too. that. It's sort of like, okay, you know, th this is something that these traditional artists now are, are sort of seeing value in too. So I, I think there's a bunch of different ways that this, you know, That's to me, I, 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 it's such an agnostic platform that I, I think, um, you know, I, I would be surprised if, if, six months from now, everybody called bullshit and just kind of walked away from it. But I don't, right. I don't see but, that happening. But that's really interesting because I guess there's a couple of ways it could happen, right? Either for some reason, mainstream collectors become very interested 
or I guess some high-end art dealer who has access to those people starts pushing it. But then I guess really, and you've seen it on Maker's Place, certainly the creators themselves just saying, hey man, nobody's going to a gallery right now, whatever. There's, there's an opportunity to make money. I'm just going to print, like I'm going to mint an NFT of this painting that I did. There are you know, definitely, um, I could tell you, there are definitely more and more fine artists and people yeah. who are very established in that world taking interest in that space. And you will see that very soon, actually. I'm yeah, 100% really positive that of, because I know these projects are, are you know, weeks from launching, not like you. Wow. So yeah, it's fast. Yeah. Yeah, the Christie's uh, thing was just a great catalyst to kind of bring awareness to a lot of the fine artists, right? So, you know, from that, there's been a lot of conversation and a lot of noise about like fine artists taking notice, getting interested in it and having these conversations of like, how do they get involved? Right. Yes. So like Mike says, it, like, it's, it, it's, it's going to happen pretty quickly. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. amazing to hear. So I I'm curious specifically to Maker's Place, what, uh, what plans do you have uh, for, you know, the rest of 2021 going into the next years? Do you have like any massive improvements that you're looking to make or are you just going to continue to, you know, curate the best art basically and have the best experience for the buyers? Yeah. Priority number one, work on our tech. Make sure that, well, uh, you know, we can <laughs> work on all the influx of new people coming into this space. So um, you know, beyond that, I think it's just trying to build out experiences that um, the community is asking for, right? So as more collectors come to the space, what do they want to see? As more creators come into the space, like what are the tools that we can build to support them, right? So, you know, we already have our storefronts. Uh, we give them better channels to kind of get their work out. It's like, how can we help them improve upon that? Like, can we work with other partners to get them more distribution, get them more visibility? What can we do in that regard? So, uh, I think a lot of what we're going to do this year is going to be listening to the community and seeing what they want and building upon that. You know, so far, a lot of it has been driven with our ideas, but as new people come into this space, they're going to have fresh perspective, fresh ideas um, on how this space can evolve, how entities can be used. So we're going to be listening um, and like listening to that and building upon that. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Mike, what do you have planned for the, for the rest of the year? I know we're kind of getting up against it here with time, but I'm curious I mean, you're at the upper echelon of this thing. How do you, uh, you know, sustain that? And what kind of work do you have planned? Well, to be honest, like sustaining it to me, it's kind of like the market's going to do what the market's going right, to do. Yeah, like I can't, I, I can't, uh, you know, I can't control that. And it's one of those things where I, I don't even worry about that because it's, it's, that's the market. My job is to make shit, cool shit that I like. The market shop is to decide how much that shit is worth. They'll do what they're going to do. Um, so for me, I'm sort of, you know, after the Christie's thing obviously ends, the next thing I'm really sort of focused on, uh, we got one more surprise with, with Maker's Place coming up here. Nice. Uh, and then the next sort of like big kind of major release that I have is the like spring collection. And that's something that, you know, we've been working really hard on for, you know, as soon as the, the uh, you know, last big drop in, in December or whatever, immediately started working on the like spring collection. Um, and so sort of moving forward, uh, the spring and fall collection are, are kind of the two sort of big drops that I'm going to have, you know, kind of modeled after fashion houses and stuff like that. Um, so That's yeah, right. I think there, there's just a ton of, of uh, you know, a ton of, of different you know, angles to push here. And, and that's what's so exciting about the space is there's so many people, you know, oh, that, uh, that's a cool idea how they structured this drop or all oh, that's, you know, the way they sold this, you know, with, you know, burning the tokens or, you know, this or that. There's just so many people pushing in so many different directions. It feels like we're just at the beginning of this and everybody gets kind of like right to rules of this space, which to me is just super inspiring and, and really fun to be a part of. Awesome. So, both of you, I guess, uh, Mike first, where can everybody follow you and keep up with you after this? Um, people collect, people dash collect. Otherwise, um, you know, Instagram people and, you know, it's everywhere. I posted a billion fucking things. Just, <laughs> like you just open a web browser at this point. You'll still be there. I'll be people, there. Yes. It's staring at you fucking, true. you know, yeah. With your beat up face. What's up with the picture? With my beat up face. <laughs> 
Where's that come from? I got to ask you. It's just like a picture I took like one night that I was like, again, this is like, you know, when I first started a Twitter account, like, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, super long ago. Um, I like had a picture of like I was drunk that night and then I just photoshopped to look like I was beat up. I was not. So you didn't get your ass whipped. No, I did not. It was just, I don't know why I did that. And then that just became a picture. But it's one of these things where, like I'll probably never change that because it's one of these things it's where your brand. You just, well, it's just you glance at Twitter and you can just immediately glance and see my thing and like then you know it. Versus when I when people change their Twitter profiles or their like profiles, then it's like I, I it's like oh shit that's them. Like I'm so used to their other picture. Like so I'll probably never change that. I'm same. Stuck with you're locked. Once you once you do it, if you get big, your avatar is your identity. You're yeah. locked in. The laser eyes are throwing people off. I think all over Twitter <laughs> at the moment. But <laughs> so Ryoma, where can people uh, check out what you're doing personally? Um, Maker's Place, of course, and obviously sign up for future drops and things like so, that. So yes, for uh, Maker's Place specifically, you know we have a lot of great drops coming up. So I would say go to makersplace.com slash drops and subscribe so you get notified for those. Uh, we're actively on our social media. So Maker's Place Co. Um, you know, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. Uh, we're on all the channels. So if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing, um, just follow us there. Um, personally, you know, I have my Twitter account, Instagram, but uh, not so active on there. But uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, Ryoma Ito, I'm there. <laughs> don't have it's almost following. like some people are too busy to tweet all day i don't know who those people <laughs> yeah. are building things and doing stuff i'm certainly apparently not one of them because i tweet relentlessly <laughs> all day so <laughs> i, I want to thank you guys so so much for doing this i think yeah, it's so important for, having us. Yeah. for clarifying uh you know what's happening in this space i think there's just a lot of misinformation and and, and hype and confusion so this was really really awesome i know that people are gonna really get a lot out of it so thanks once again Thanks, Josh. Uh,